Turning a breakdown into an opportunity. This is Katie Morikawa. I had a small breakdown this week. Not a big one. Provoked by fatigue laced with a pinch of indignity. My brother and I renovated a farmhouse bathroom. A job I took because I needed the money. I love old farmhouses, and this one is owned by a dear friend. And so, you know, I've been thinking of it as messy but satisfying work. I love creating spaces and making things beautiful. And anyway, but the project expanded last minute, and by midweek, I was thoroughly exhausted and wondering what I was doing with my life. By the last day, I had sunk into a cloud of fears and insecurities. And just, you know, it was relentless, you know, not to mention a reflection on how pointless were all my lovely mindset strategies in the face of this kind of grueling manual labor. Very humbling to contemplate what life must be like for people who do this kind of work all the time. And I don't mean just renovations. Could I find something, anything in my bag of tricks that a person in a similar situation could use to cope, much less thrive? For starters, I could recognize that my gloomy outlook was probably greatly exaggerated by my tiredness and shouldn't be taken too seriously. Uh, you know, it's like when your kids start throwing a fit um, and they're really just tired and they need to go to bed. You know, <laughs> um, after that, I turned to a, I think, commonly employed strategy in war and business, um, turning a breakdown into an opportunity. In my case, I realized that this was a great time to look more closely at the negative patterns that had risen so strongly to the surface something that inevitably happens when we're fatigued or under stress. And that alone perked me up a little. <laughs> so I chose my anxiety, which was up again and thrumming like a ragged motor. Over the years, anxiety has haunted me more than it ever did as a younger person. And I have hated it at times. You know, the older anxious woman is such an unflattering stereotype. And I was just never anxious, even when I was having, you know, like I was depressed uh, when I was not in a good space when I was younger, but I was never anxious. And I always looked down on these like women, anxious women. <laughs> so it's been very humbling. Um, and essentially I saw it as weakness. And, you know, I'm sure that didn't help matters, um, particularly since one of the strategies I have learned for countering it includes identifying and eliminating toxic thoughts and beliefs. But, you know, all of my various strategies take more time um, to take effect than I had at present. So that morning, as I showered quickly and packed my lunch and supplies, I peered into my anxiety and noticed a particular dynamic structure to it something I'd always vaguely sensed without really understanding. Mind you, I was able to do this on the fly because I've developed mindfulness skills through years of meditation. But I think that you, even without these, could do it with enough time. 
If you pick a pattern that isn't fleeting, but fairly persistent, uh, you could do the same with some journaling and time to reflect. My anxiety, I noticed, felt like a fast, agitating vibration, as though two forces were opposing and beating against each other, you know, and just rattling my composure and preventing me from moving forward with ease. Um, it's really hard to relax when you're anxious. <laughs> as I focused on these and remembered other particularly anxious patches over the past few days, I sensed two distinct impulses battering against each other and opposing each other. And they were bold certainty and fear. Now, anxiety makes me feel more anxious, one of the vicious cycles with which psychology contends. And I tend to be afraid of it anyway, so I hadn't recognized the pulse of my own bold certainty caught within the clatter of the anxiety and fear. But it was there, together with the fear, holding its own, both impulses present in equal measure and like, you know, like clashing swords. <laughs> um, in that moment, I understood that anxiety isn't actually fear, it's indecision. And I realized that I could make a choice here. So, you know, I could choose between bold certainty and fear. And so, you know, unless I'm running from a sharp-toothed predator, <laughs> I tend to mistrust fear as a motivator, you know, as a guiding motivator. So I chose the bold certainty. And it leaped inside of me. You know, it was already alive. It required no work for me to generate it. But it just, you know, became clear with my choice. And as I did that, the anxiety quickly began to dissipate. You know, and it was fanned by the simultaneous realization that this mini breakdown had indeed provided an opportunity to understand anxiety in a whole new way and to diffuse it. I went on to have a great day, a tiring one, but one highlighted by yet another gem of insight that my brother and I shared while installing the bathroom sink, you know, and I'll share it in a future post. Uh, spoiler alert. It's, it's got gremlins in it, <laughs> in a good way. I suspect that each person's anxiety will represent a specific set of warring impulses, not necessarily identical to the ones I discovered this week. I could imagine other pairings in which a person might choose the quieter side of the warring pair. Resentment versus patience anger versus sorrow, judgment versus love. You know, when seeking to defuse the anxiety, it seems essential to find the true components or ingredients of your particular anxiety with the understanding that these components will change from situation to situation. Choosing to end the impasse by making a decision may also represent some unique challenges for example, there may not be a clear right choice. If your anxiety resolves into a conflict between anger and the patient witness, you may find it impossible to stand in the patient witness and instead need to give full voice to your anger. 
And indeed, after venting the anger, you might find yourself winding your way back around to patience. Making a choice doesn't mean staying on that road forever. The dynamics of both organic and psychological processes involve divergences that can then reconverge just as often as they remain divergent and distinct. Before I share a simple how-to process for working with your anxiety, which I'll do in a separate post to make it easier to find, I wanted to acknowledge that despite a pattern of publishing helpful how-to posts of late, I have no desire to promote myself as a guru-type teacher. It's a popular model, but I've always shrunk back from it. Not only am I all too aware of my faults and personal struggles, <laughs> but my best teachers have always been deeply human and have struggled with their own challenges. In fact, the ones who seem so perfect have always proven to be hiding deep, dark demons every time. That's a topic for another post, the shadow of gurus. Anyway, if I've developed more mindfulness tools and disciplines than you, it's probably because I've had more motivation, pain, sorrow, loss, character flaws leading to an obstinacy of unwise choices, plus a perpetually confused sense of purpose. <laughs> But as with this week's lesson, breakdowns can be turned into opportunities. You can find the step-by-step -step method for unlocking and diffusing your anxiety in the next post and episode 22 on this podcast. <laughs>